Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to Trailer Rewind, everyone. Every month we dig into the archives and watch a film that Pete and Andy talked about in their trailer picks. JJ and I watch it and have a very spoilery conversation about it. Today we're looking at Colonia. This was Pete's pick from January 15th, 2016. The truth was such a free. I'm so sorry they brought you here as well. I joined up. 
there's like a whole secret world going on underneath. No! You're planning to escape. It's okay. The Lord loves us deeply. Pete said he couldn't tell what kind of film this was going to be. Emma Watson joins a cult to find her political rabble-rouser of a boyfriend, and he liked the environment of the cult and thought it looked like a taut cultist thriller. Uh, The boyfriend didn't like the environment of the cult. Pete liked that, right? (laughs) Right, yes. But (laughs) now, Pete did point out, he said he was, you know, had some positive vibes about this, but he did want to caution people. He is the one that predicted good things about Child 44, which is... You know, a, a sore spot from last year. <laughs> For now, everyone. Now, Andy is interesting because he found the relationship and political side, that aspect of the trailer, really interesting. And the creepy vibe of the cult didn't really seem appealing to him, which I thought was odd because Andy is very much, you know, into horror films. And I thought that okay. might be all them. But I think he, he brought up something interesting and said he expected that that first minute of the trailer was probably going to be the first 10 minutes of the film. And the majority of the film was going to be what goes on in the cult. And I can say he, he hit it right on with that. How one. did he know? He's Andy. I didn't know. He, he's Andy. He just knows. That was awesome. Cause I didn't know. Yeah. I was expecting a whole bunch of political stuff, but yeah, so, we'll talk about it. And I guess, you know, Pete said he felt that this shows that Emma Watson has found her legs after the Harry Potter franchise and is picking things sort of out of that character. And I, I, as I did some research, I found that, you know, the thing that drew her to this film was that it was a story about a, a strong woman. And we can get into, you know, that role in the plot, but it was really hmm. that, that, that character um, drew her to this, that she wanted to do this film for this character. So, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I think yeah. we should talk about that. But before we go any further, you should all check out all the fun stuff about this show and its sibling shows at thenextreel.com. Go subscribe in your favorite podcast app or join us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel or support us on Patreon. For just a few bucks a month, you can get early releases of episodes in Pete's draft version, or you can gain access to The Next Reel team and other listeners in the members-only Slack group. The members at groups growing every day, and I found that there's always something interesting to talk about in there. Yeah, it's great. Slack's awesome. So, JJ. Yeah. T- tell me, this film, which is based on true events at Colonia Dignidad, which is where mm. the film gets its name, did this film break you without physically harming you? <laughs> uh, well, it depends what you mean by that. So, uh, you know, we're doing movies... This year, we've decided that we're this is let's all scare JJ this year, um, and I it, it does it does extend to movies le- somewhat like this in the thriller sense. Um, and there was a lot of suspense in this movie. Um, I did have one point in the movie where I felt like I needed to get up and walk out of the room and let it pass, and that's um, jumping right to spoilers uh, when they were trying to escape and they were in the tunnels and all that stuff that was it was suspenseful for me and i think it wasn't the fact of the escape but just the the brutality that they had experienced okay. in both their yeah. own ways yeah. that i wanted so badly for them to not have to experience any more brutality so um so that's a powerful thing in the film and i guess that broke me without physically harming me <laughs> i personally think of fear as physical harm so oh, okay. that's why i avoid these movies but yeah um in general 
I thought it was an interesting movie. It's um, it's pretty straightforward, which is so it's kind of out of my realm. It's not necessarily a movie that I would go see. It's uh, they're telling you a story, and it's a recounting, you know, a general recounting of history as well. So uh, it, it's not necessarily again my cup of tea, but um, but in general, the story was was straightforward and and powerful. I thought too. How about you? Well, I was I was happy to see that this year we're off to a solid start with titles that we can really connect easily to the film with Colonia, which is the place that it, it this film is set, the majority of it in that uh, right. that organization there. Previously, we'd done you know the lobster, which was pretty clearly how that connected. Last year, we were doing things like Comet and Cake and Two Faces of January with titles that, I, as I recall, we were just trying to figure out why this title, what does this mean for us? And here, it was nice to see a, a title um, that told us exactly what we were going to see. You know, this place. It's interesting to me because I did not know this history. Uh, I didn't either. It, so it's I think definitely new for me too. It, it's an interesting story. I did find myself trying to figure out what, you know, the director and writer wanted us to take away from this story. Was there a lesson for us to learn? I think, you know, basing something on true events is always compelling. You know, let's make sure we're not repeating history again. But was there a specific lesson to be learned from this? And I felt like that got buried beneath the story that was, you know, between the relationship. We've got this this love story, this uh, political rabble rouser and uh, a flight attendant and their story sort of gets scooped up into the political situation and that I wanted more of that and I you know either the politic the politics of what was going on at the time or about this cult that she sort of allows herself to get taken into to save this man that she loves who's been you know, put there as a political prisoner and it was so much about them. And I thought there's so many more interesting pieces to be told about how this organization has, you know, been allowed to exist. The political influence that we see that their leader has throughout the film, uh, all interesting things. And I wanted more of that because the, the love story, the relationship, her quest to get her man back was, although, you know, it it kept me interested, uh, but it just didn't, it didn't give me anything to walk away with at the end. Well, yeah, their story is sort of the individual drama that's here, but I think I think you're right in saying that if there is a lesson or if there's a, a point to telling the story, it, it, it may be even sort of the old school thing that we see in a lot of uh, uh, historical movies where they're talking about how the church uses the state and how the state uses the church to to sort of affect their power and their decisions in, in, in has been throughout history perverting each other to get what they want um, through it. And I think, you know, that's kind of the high level sort of theme of what's going on here. Uh, but I agree. The story itself is captivi- captivating from a human perspective in what uh, the two characters are doing in, in their own escape. But I think you're right that the, the greater story is something much larger to be told. So that brings us back to sort of the balance. We talked, you know, Andy sort of predicted that, you know, we'd only see this, you know, the political situation, which is, you know, Chile in 1973. And we have at the beginning a lot of, you know, sort of exposition and explanation of of what's going on in the country at that time when the story takes place. So we get all that, you know, up front, but in a certain sense, it doesn't, it doesn't, 
hold any weight for the rest of the film. It's not necessary because we don't really need that information to understand the, the majority of the story, which is her quest to, to, to save him. So do you think that, you know, I mean, Andy called it that, it you know, in terms of the balance, do you think that was the right balance for the story? Did we well, need more? Yeah, my, my quick answer is no. And I think that it, it, I think that a lot of the stuff that's happening in the exposition in that first part, like you can't even really call it the first third, but in that, that first 10 minutes or whatnot is is kind of a shorthand to give us uh, to give us license to experience the drama that's going to go through the rest of the film. One of the things that I had that was a big problem with this for me in movie in this movie, and I find in other movies, is that they used sex as shorthand for love. Yeah. And 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 that I think was infused, and you shouldn't even say infused because that that stuff could be true. I mean, who knows? It, it doesn't matter to me either way. But the point is, is that that seemed like to be infused into the story to create stakes, especially straight stakes for Emma Watson's character. Um, why would she go through this? And the only way that they could demonstrate that to us in the first 10, 10 minutes is some pretty explicit love scenes um, to to kind of I guess shorthand say oh they really 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 like each other and that felt heavy handed to me so um, it, your question was about balance but it, my point is I think that we didn't necessarily need those things to show us the drama of the story later um, I think that potentially people might have been saying well why would she go through this for him without that or without something I just don't like what they chose to do that in both the political realm and the relationship realm so those first 10 minutes were odd, um, especially with, with where the rest of the story went for me. How about you? Yeah, it's one of those where whenever something's based on true events, you have to strike that balance of are we you know, sticking with fidelity to what actually happened versus what's best for the story. And you know, I, I think looking at how they structure things, you know, there's a lot that they're trying to communicate and condense in those first few minutes because we know that, or she's a flight attendant. She comes into this, you know, her route brings her here every few weeks. Uh, so clearly she's, she's, you know, meeting up with this guy, you know, when she's in town, when she's there with the rest of her crew and she sees him, you know, on the stage person, she's like, Oh, there he is. She abandons the rest of her group. So we, there's some sense of history with the the two of them that they're trying to condense in that. And I guess that's where sort of the sex comes in to show that this is an ongoing sort of sustained relationship. It's, you know, 1973. So, you know, still maybe in some of that free love, you know, sure. era so that, you know, I think they they did condense that to try to build so that there are the stakes because she makes a really bold and rash decision when he's, you know, basically taken away as a political prisoner that she's going to basically, you know, risk her life to try to get him. We've we've got to find a way to to buy into that, to believe that that's a logical decision for her, that she's willing to take that risk and you know, I think that's what the whole front end was structured to. But I felt that they gave us so much of the political t- context that I was expecting more from that. You know, that it's, you know, he could have been anybody that was protesting the government. We had to, it was set in this specific, you know, political turmoil. And I think, again, that comes from we need to be faithful to the historical events that this is based on. And I, I felt like they spent too much time on that. And if they wanted to really, get about the, you know, focus on the relationship, we didn't need as much of that backgrounding in the political, you know, setting the stage for what was going on in the country. 
And I think that that polarized them as characters and made them a little bit uh, shallow as well, that she was in it just for the relationship and he was in it just for revolution, where I think there, there could have been a little bit more complexity there. Um, but, you know, that's that's kind of the way they went with this, with the sort of relationship piece and the escape piece of what was going on here. Because they wanted to make they wanted to make that battle. They wanted to have that come up later on. Uh, as you see when they're actually about to make our, the escape and he still wants to change the world and she just wants to get free with him. So I understand why that's part of the story. I just felt that was made them uh, shallow as characters. So in terms of structure, what I did find interesting was a device that the, the director chose, which was to use these title cards. Once she gets to Colonia, and we have title cards that are sort of like architectural drawings of different places in the compound with the number, the day. So it's identifying how much time has progressed. And for me, I found that really helpful in terms of structuring things. If we're going to collapse or condense time to get a sense of how much time is passing when we have a character that's in a very sort of routine environment, it's hard to tell, okay, how many days has she been out there, you know, picking rocks out of the field or at this task? And that gave me a sense of her commitment and time and how long she'd been there. And also I found interesting the architectural drawings that they selected for the title cards were key places that were coming up in the scenes we were about to see. So I could sort of track, oh, this is, so at the beginning, our first title card is sort of the front, a schematic of the front gate, which is sort of, okay, here's our entry. And as we work our way through the story, we're seeing the different locations where the scenes take place. I'm nodding my head because I hadn't even thought about that piece that actually that the witch which blueprints or which you know which diagrams we were looking at also helped with the passage of time, but I think that 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 device was necessary because there was really no other way to show passage of time in there, and it and it was impossible to tell scene to scene uh, what they were going through. Um, so I think it was it was necessary for what they were doing there. I liked it too. Yeah, so it's a total of 132 days. Wow, is is the sort of the story that takes place? That's how many days she's in there. Um, which I think is is key to think about in terms of her place as an outsider in there, because that was one of the you know pieces that I had to think about a lot in terms of the people that were there sort of voluntarily. We know that some of them may have been political prisoners like her boyfriend Daniel. Others, we know it's families, their kids were born there, they were raised there. So to get a sense of how sort of indoctrinated she is or the the pill that she has to take every day as far as yeah. what impact that has. So 132 days, so we're talking, you know, like a little over four months. So it's not like years have, have gone by. Uh, it's enough time where she still clearly has a connection to the outside. She hasn't been completely sort of like brainwashed and isolated enough that she's given up hope, uh, which I thought was a, a key component to the struggle because at what point does the sort of the human spirit break and she's just going to give in to it's futile there's no chance that we're ever going to get out of here or that i'm ever going to find him see and that's good so I'm, I'm glad that you noted the exact number of days because for me my brain once we went from the single days expiring to the longer days you know passing by i all I thought was that it was a long time. Actually, now that you tell me that number, it actually seems small to me. Something in my watching of the film made me think it was much longer. Not, I wouldn't say multiple years, but I was thinking that it was it was in the years portion, just because all of a sudden the day number, the the days got longer, and I wasn't paying attention to the exact number. So that's 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 a good point that you bring up, especially when you're talking about breaking someone's spirit. 
So maybe you want to talk about direction. Yeah. So Florian Gallenberger. Yes. Now I'm not familiar with any other of his work. This was a film, as I said, you know, I, I don't think it's anything I'm going to revisit, but it, you know, I kept, I, it kept me engaged through the whole film. It had, I think there was a, a flow to it that worked. Um, you know, nothing that stuck out for me one way or the other. Now I'm not as visually detail oriented as you are. So there may be some things that, that you may have noted, but to me, this was something that, you know, you can put on, watch. It's an interesting story. And at the end of the day, it's forgettable. And probably five years down the road, I'll remember bits and pieces of it, but not a whole lot about it. Yeah, it's uh, forgettable is an interesting word. I, I think uh, I'm kind of definitely going to forget it. But I think it's interesting that um, that you brought up uh, Child 44 on it too, because in general, I think this movie is is more solid than Child 44 because Child 44 is very uh, uneven and it's weaving a elaborate map that it doesn't do very well. So uh, in the ways that Child 44 didn't work from a technical standpoint, they're actually very similar to the ways that there are failures for Colonia technically as well. Um, don't know if that we can put that on Florian or other folks from the camera side, but one of the pet peeves that we talked about in the Child 44 uh, film board and, and, and Steve, you weren't in there for that one. Is that right? You didn't see Child 44? Yep. I, I am fortunate enough to say I avoided that one completely. <laughs> it, it's not, I mean, honestly, like the story, it's not a terrible movie, but there are lots of problems with it. And from a technical standpoint, one of the pet peeves that we talked about in it was the idea of perspective and where the camera is set up. So, and, and jumping those perspectives too rapidly so that you get disoriented as an audience member. It happened a lot in... Co- Colonia, when uh, Emma Watson first gets to to the compound. And this is the place that I remember, but I know it's happened more times than just the time I'm mentioning in here. But uh, she gets to the compound and she's walking along the fence and the camera is viewing, there could be a wide shot that was viewing her as she comes up to the grand um, the grand spectacle of the fence. There could be a close-up. There could be a perspective shot where you're looking over her shoulder and you're seeing it. But then they would give you the sense, they would put the camera on the other side of the fence, oh, okay. looking out at yeah. her, and, or, and these kind of things. So you're thinking that maybe what that's meant to show is uh, that there are people looking from the inside out, or these kind of things. You, you know, it's, it's the Applied perception of an audience position by the placement of the camera. What happened in Child 44 is that the camera would show up in the woods. So you'd be looking from the woods at the scene that was happening or uh, and things where it would be impossible for an actual person to be. So you would become a third person, third person omniscient frame of reference. And that happens a lot in Colonia as well in the sense of what I'm talking about behind the fence when there's no one there. Uh, and if it's used in direction in a way to give us a suspenseful feeling as in maybe that character's being watched, that's one thing. But a lot of times here in this film, it felt like it was being done to present something in an artful way without a whole lot of insight. And that is kind of a problem, especially when it becomes disorienting from the from the audience member. When you're approaching a scene, it felt like it was a mistake from the storyboarding perspective. When you're getting set up for a, a sequence of shots and you move from one perspective to a mystery perspective and the audience doesn't know what to do. That's something that's really disorienting. And in this case, some of it seemed indulgent and in in failing in a way. And again, I don't think that necessarily takes away from the movie. I actually think 
Colonia is a better film than uh, Child 44 because it's more straightforward and follows the story and gives us a suspense. It, it gives us what it's going for. That being said, technically speaking, there's some problems with it that will frustrate people if you really care about those things when you're trying to get a sense of what the camera is doing in the movie. Did you get any of that from what you were watching? Did you see um, some of those weird shots or perspective as anything more than art? I mean, now that you mention it the, at the gate, I mean, I, I seem to recall that. And yeah, that's one of those where I always think, are they trying to create artificial suspense by, you know, the fact of, oh, is someone someone out in the woods watching? Is this something that, that you know, is going to play part, you know, a key part of the plot later on that there's, you know, somebody that's living in the woods and that's going to be a part of the story. But it's like, why, what am I supposed to do with this information? And if I'm misinterpreting it, because if it's just supposed to be artful camera placement, but I'm interpreting it as, oh, you're giving me story information, then yeah, that can be sort of either frustrating or confusing to a viewer. For me, it, you know, wasn't anything that stuck with me or you know, I just sort of let it, I guess, roll off of me of like, oh, that's that's interesting. Because uh, I guess there were so many things in this film that just, I don't want to say fell flat, but just played sort of to the middle and very neutral on things where it was just like, okay, we're, we're going to shoot it this way. We're going to move on. And it just felt, I guess, very workmanlike of it. It's hitting its points and we're we're getting the shots that we need and we're, we're moving along. And it, it, I, it didn't take me on a roller coaster anywhere of emotions or even even at the end the suspenseful tunnel pieces it was just another escape for me where we've got you know a, a ticking clock and we've got to get out of here um i mean it did everything it needs to do and that's where i have to step back and wonder am i the you know the viewer that has you know hundreds or perhaps thousands of films under his belt that to someone you know i think of like my daughters watching a film like this you know, maybe as part of a history class or a lesson to learn something, maybe really, you know, swept up in this because I think when you've seen something done so many times, it can just have that numbing factor. And for somebody coming to it with perhaps fewer films or, like I said, a younger audience that I think may have something to connect with this story. And I think in terms of casting Emma Watson, you're you're playing to a a, spe- a specific demographic, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think what you said too about it being the artificial, I think is a good word. And I want to key back on that word because I don't know, I don't think it's a technical problem. But when you say that it's maybe artificial suspense or artificial, uh, artificial story elements that don't actually pan out when you continue in the story, I think that's the thing that ends up with, regardless of whether you're an experienced film watcher or you're someone new, that's the kind of thing that for some reason it'll let you, it'll make you feel, feel fall flat because you're looking for that piece and it just never pays off. I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree, and I think that's you know where I, I felt that there were there was potential in this, and now. You know, hearkening back to some of our others, it, it wasn't as disappointing to me as when I think of like Two Faces of January and the airport scene right. when Oscar Isaac is, you know, like, oh, they're they're out to get him, and how that just was a just did not live up to the potential at all. Right. Um, you know, I don't, I didn't. There was nothing in this film that was for me that drastic of a, a letdown or disappointment, but I I didn't have any story points that I think were aspiring to something as high. Either and, and for me, I, I guess I looked at this as it's you know it's an interesting story, but it I think if I look at the cast, you know this film was really about 
you know, some of the key actors and the roles that they were playing and the opportunities that it gave them to sort of explore these characters. Yep. Is to me really more, you know, for, for Emma Watson, you know, as I said, she was drawn to this because it was a story that sort of flipped the conventions around because she gets to play a strong woman that saves her man. It's The woman isn't being saved by her guy. She's going in there and she's saving him. Yeah. And so, I, you know, that was the, the draw for her. And I think that's really what, you know, is sort of, I guess, a takeaway from this of, Here's a film that's got a role model for young girls of here's here's a woman that is in charge of her life, is taking command and is is standing up for something, you know, she believes in and, and fighting for it. Right. And I think that's an interesting thing to talk about because I didn't I, I I didn't recognize that while I was watching it. But it's a really strong statement that that that's there from that character and that person. Um, she was crazy strong. It's really impressive. And you even have, I mean, in, in terms of strong women, you do have, um, you know, sort of the first person she she meets there. Um, and again, uh, uh, this is, and I'm going to probably butcher this name, Richenda Carey, who played the character of Gisela. Oh, so I think she's, that's right. I think you yeah, right. Okay. I mean, she's one of those characters you just enjoy hating because she's like the real strict, you know, woman in charge. Um, but again, a strong, a really strong one who's, who keeps, who keeps the girls in line. Um, you know, not, yeah. you know, not something you hope your kids aspire to, uh, but definitely in terms of, of, of strong women, you've, you've got, uh, you know, she's got specific responsibilities and there's a nice, I thought, dynamic that's, that's starting to, to play out between Lena, you know, Emma Watson's character and Gisela, just sort of this. You know, give and take back and forth. The the scene I think of is when they're out in the field just picking up the stones and, and, and Lena falls to the ground and Gisela comes by and, and you know, asks her, you know, she's like, Get get to work. She's like, Oh, I'm I'm thirsty. And so she brings a Gisela brings a bucket of water to her there and it tells her, No, don't drink that. I'm not here to serve you. You're gonna carry that bucket with you for the rest of the day and there better not be one drop missing. Terrible. I mean, a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> are there people that are so cruel? Yes, I guess there are. But it's one of those, you know, character moments between the two that, you know, sort of slowly builds throughout the story that, that gives the story some tension when in other moments there's not a whole lot else driving the story. We can at least fall back on that dynamic that I felt yep. kept things moving along. Yeah, in general, I think all the performances were pretty solid. It, I, I didn't question whether or not there was any sort of uh, performance going in. I, I was I was happy with with each of the performances. It reminded me, you know, again, kind of the similar subject matter, but it reminded me of the master, right? And and how everyone was felt really solid and really bought into their performances in the master in that sort of cult sort of thing as well. It, it, of course, the master didn't go into this detail and wasn't nearly as straightforward as this, but it's the same kind of movie and it was the same kind of uh, emotional drama that was being played out. And I think everyone did a really good job. Oh yeah, and I could see, you know. As I, as I thought about the performances, like what's going to draw these actors to this? Because I know Emma, what, what's drawing Emma Watson to this. So I, I started looking sure. at everyone, and you've got Daniel Bruhl playing her her boyfriend Daniel, uh, who's the political activist uh, that gets you know basically taken by the secret police, you know, tortured to the point where occasionally some of these political prisoners have have brain damage, and he overhears this conversation as he's in the recovery room and sort of decides to adopt that of I'm going to play like I don't know that, I, that I'm mentally you know disabled now 
And I thought that's an interesting choice for that character to make for his own survival. But I could see as an actor how this is an interesting part to play of a, a man who's making this decision to, you know, portray himself this way so that he can survive. So that he can have access to things, because if everybody assumes you're dumber than you are, you've got some advantage over them. And how he's going to try to use that to scheme to get a camera, to capture information about the place, so that 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 political activist side is still there. He's just using some subterfuge to sort of use that to his advantage there. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting character to play. That's that's kind of the thing that you would take about any of these uh, uh, Michael Nyquist, Emma Watson, Daniel Brühl, all the all of the characters. Why you would choose to play this is because it was a really interesting leap or to get into what they were doing because um, they're they're complex people, and I think that that story, that story of of that you just mentioned of him overhearing a way to, to kind of sneak his way through it if that's true that's amazing oh yeah and he did a great <laughs> job of playing it too oh yeah exactly and it, it created some you know there was some story points that i thought worked really well where he's where the paths sort of collide where lena has fig- found out that the men have these gatherings to punish women for for whatever you know cause that they have and so she figures she sees Daniel in the one of the men's meetings when they're there to punish one of the women and she realizes this is her opportunity to let him know that she's there so she uh, I think they're out in the forest she you know strips down naked jumps in the water to splash around which apparently you know spoils the water so the men have to punish her but the day that they bring her forward to that men's group is the day he's like exploring he's got his camera and he's discovering things so he's not actually there to see her, to know that she's there. She knows he's there, but he doesn't know that she's there on the inside trying to help him out either, which I thought was a nicely structured, you know, created some nice, you know, dramatic, you know, tension and dramatic irony for us through that part of the story. And super intense. All of that yeah. stuff was really intense. And and I did feel the suspense through those parts. I think if that was the goal of this movie, I, I, I felt suspense through all that stuff because I felt for the characters. I didn't want them to have to go through this anymore. I that I have an extreme fear of the situation that they were put in. <laughs> I would not be able to volunteer like Lena did. I would not be able to do what they've done and they are they're amazing people to do what they did and get through it. So so you mentioned Michael Nyquist and it's this is one of those characters he, he's playing this character so Paul Schaefer is real. He's a real person. He was uh, escaped from, you know, or fled Germany after World War II. I think he was, you know, somewhat affiliated with the Nazis and, and fled to uh, South America. And so here's this opportunity to play sort of like without bounds, the egomaniac cult leader. And I think, you know, one of the scenes that sticks with me is when Lena first comes in and she has her first meeting with him. And he goes by the name of Pius as he's the, you know, that's how he's known as the cult leader. And the, the first scene between the two of them, uh, how he starts off very calm and slowly just builds to this frantic, almost rage to try to find out why she's there was just a really powerful scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was it. And very intense but so you say it, it's intense what did, what were you thinking was going to happen where was the suspense taking you in that 
Well, for, for me, it's the suspense of we know she's a fraud, that she, you know, she's presenting herself as, oh, I'm here to serve because right. there's, she's seen the marketing materials that it's this, that, you know, there's the public facade of, oh, it's this religious organization that does these things for people that want to serve the Lord. And then she knows that behind the scenes, there's ties to sort of the secret police and torturing of political prisoners. So we know why she's there. And the question is for that, scene is does he know does he have some super supernatural sensibilities is she going to break can he break her early on you know is she going to be able to withhold interrogation sort of of why she's really there and it gives us some insight into how crazy he can be but i guess the suspense came from okay is she going to stick with this knowing now what she's really gotten herself into satan inside you no do you renounce Satan, the beast of hell? Yes. Do you renounce the sins of the flesh? Yes. Do you renounce all lies and deceit? Yes. <laughs> Tell me the truth. Why are you here? I'm here for you, Pius. I need you, that's why. Oh, now you've spoken truly. Feel the grace of the Lord coming down on you. In the end, the way she gets out is she caters to his ego. Of course. I mean, she, Which it, is smart to do with a cult leader. Smart. So again, it shows you know how intelligent she is. She's going to be able to work her way through this, which you know was one thing that I struggled with. You know, we talked about the condensed time, you know, everybody's taking these pills. And I didn't know if we were supposed to get that they were having, because it seems like nothing has any impact on her. She seems to be the same person day one as she is on day 130. Right. You know, we don't see that this has any impact. We don't see her worn down. We don't see, you know, if they're taking, if everybody's taking these pills and we see learn later on that Daniel's doing the same thing by stuffing him in his mattress, he's not taking the pills, you know, but I think she is. Are they there to subdue the people? That was the one thing I didn't quite get as far as was she just immune to the effects of all the other women that are in there that are just sort of like heads down, let's do what we're told, that she's so strong to to stick to her guns and stick to her mission. I thought there there wasn't anything that showed she sort of wavered in that at all or that there was anything that would have any, I don't know, it was a stumbling block for her. She just right. is pure endurance going to make it through, whether it's, you know, 60 days or 130 days. There's nothing that's, and I, I guess that's something I, I wanted to see. I guess some, something that, you know, how do they break these people? Cause clearly they must somehow, but she's, you know, immune to that. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't think about it actually. And I, and now that I think about it and when they're finding all the pills that, you know, that, uh, that the guy was stuffing, you gotta, it kind of gotta make you wonder why it didn't affect her at all. Right, uh, Daniel, Daniel was Daniel, stuffing. Yeah, yeah. It, was it wrong for me to think that uh, that I or for me to worry that Michael Nyquist I thought was Mads Mikkelsen? <laughs> <laughs> no, I could see him. That's the, a role that the either Dane of them. and the Swede. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time I'm watching the movie, I thought I was like, oh, didn't we just see him in Doctor Strange? <laughs> yeah, he's a yeah. bad guy. Yeah, he's, no, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, yeah, they both, they both can play that, that quiet rage that bubbles up from underneath the surface. I think they can both do that really well. And that There's, northern that, Scandinavian accent. Yes, yeah. yes, that, that will always, always do it. 
<laughs> so we we talked a little bit about cinematography. Uh, I don't know if there was anything sure. else that uh, your your eye caught. Well, in general, you, you know, you talked about the two faces of January. Yeah. I just, when you did that, I, I went back and checked my uh, my flick chart because I wanted to see where the two were ranked. And I I, I think you know you're right in a lot of sort of the, the plot hole similarities uh, of the two. I, I generally liked the art in the two faces of, of, of January a little bit more. It felt more purposeful. It felt it felt uh, like it was done for a reason. Here, those were the problems that I had, that I just saw them, you know, there there's some shots actually that are on the IMDb page for the colony here where it, you kind of wonder, you know, why they're doing it. There's a shot that's from behind Emma Watson showing the room of all all the men uh, that are when they're about to punish her, and again, it's it's again that third eye, that eye of God that's in the room that, as the camera. And in general, I that's not my preference. So the, it's a choice. It's a choice from direction. It's a choice from from cinematography. But in general, I like to be present in some way as opposed to being uh, detached in that way. So uh, just in the way that things were set up, I think it was a choice for art, and it's just not not my preference. So the way it was going, in there weren't real real problems though uh, there were a couple times where it looked like the camera was uh, a certain camera wasn't uh was was not steady cam or was uh, was handheld versus versus lockdown but in general there, it wasn't sloppy it was just uh, choices that i wasn't super happy with so and anything about music that was uh i didn't notice the music memorable to you yeah i you know as, as i afterwards i thought i it, it didn't it didn't stand out one way or the other as, you know, drawing attention to itself like, oh, this is just really odd or unusual or, wow, this is really moving me or there's a theme or there's something that, you know, is working. It just sort of was there as supporting the setting. You know, yeah, we should yeah. put this one as another one in our long litany of films that that go into the category of where have all the good themes gone? Yes, uh, just because uh, we're missing great themes in this world these days, and when we when it hits, when we get that good theme again, I think it's a big thing for us. To oh, it about. it stirs the heart and stirs the soul, and can can you know it can when that character rallies and that theme you know rises and swells, you're like yes. And we, it's in the we, new. Speaking of Harry Potter, it's in the yeah. new ad campaign for Universal Studios, uh, Florida, where oh, yeah. everyone is is humming along the do do and it goes through all the people working around there. So it, when there are great themes, it's effective. Well, I'm just going to take a look at the first shot and last shot with this one to see sort of how the story you know comes back around to itself, to what extent, and I. Again, the first shot we get is like newsreel footage of Chile 1973, which is establishing, again, sort of the political turmoil in the country. And our, our last shot is just that the airplane that they're on ascending into the sky. That doesn't seem connected to me. No, it, it you know, it was sort of here's where you are. And yes, the, the escape towards the end. Now, I, I you know, we, we didn't talk about the end, uh, but, you know, not only did they escape out of the tunnels, but then there's fleeing to the German embassy, you know, getting a ride there. Oh, from that the, whole political thing. Yes. Wow, that was gross. <laughs> so they think they're safe. Why did they go German? Is Daniel German? Is that they, the idea? They, I, think they were bo- I think they were both supposed to be German, perhaps. She I, can't. I, really? I, I, maybe he is. I Yeah, it wasn't clear, but because clearly one of them would, had, must have been, he must be German. When they did the yeah. arms deal yeah. in the middle or the sarin gas yeah. deal yeah. in the middle and the German people were there, wouldn't they get the clue yeah. that that probably wasn't the safe place to go? <laughs> I mean, 
So that's you know, it so had they, to be a home country. I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, it had was, to be a home country. So they go there. As smart the as they were, come on. Tells tells them we're going to get you out of here. They forget the photos. They're the photos that Daniel's taken that shows what's going on under the tunnels. She goes back in to get them, and that's where we sort of overhear the set. One of the secretaries say, "No, I, you know, I tried to stop them, but they somehow got on a flight." And we get a hint that somebody inside the embassy has got some, you know, is working for you know uh pious when we get to then they get to the airport and they get put in a room say okay wait here we'll come and get you and then you know after waiting they see pious now meeting with the ambassador so clearly you know the political influence that he holds in that country so again just when we thought they were safe they've got you know one last sprint to the airplane which you know is they were able to get seats on because it's the the pilot is the one that she has flown with before as a as a flight attendant. So he's holding the plane, waiting for them. And there's the sprint across the tarmac and the car chase. And, you know, finally, you know, the door closing and getting away. So, I mean, it it, it kept its momentum through the end, you know. So I, I don't know where I else sure it would go. I hope that's the way it happened, yeah, too. I, I, I mean, I, honestly, yeah. like, I can't imagine that's the way it happened. But that was super interesting and exciting. Oh, yeah. So I, I don't know where else you would go from there other than the plane flying away. Anything else would be, you know... Just ex- overextending. I, maybe some title cards to explain. You know, well, they some did things. the updates yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you know, they told yeah. us about, and they explained the the sexual abuse piece in there too, which right. felt a little bit strange when they popped it in in the middle of the movie. But it since, th- but that's the kind of thing where you know you asked at the top of the show, what was the reason for making the movie? What were they? What were they trying to teach us? I think it's clear by that that they wanted to talk about these the horrors that were going on there. And like you said, I had no idea about this this place in history, and this is terrible. I mean, this is really, this is really a terrible thing, and and it's a movie that people should watch if they don't know about stuff like that. Maybe it's a historical. Maybe there's some historical value to having that film out there. Oh yeah, I, I, like I said, I think you know, it's a it's a film that I could really see you know connecting with you know younger teens you know to maybe learn some lessons about history and how power corrupts. Um, you know, when certain people have power and how they can abuse that. Um, you know, it, it is rated R, so it's definitely not, you know, middle school, but I thought maybe high school, you know, could, you know, about the power of the individual to, you know, protest, you know, government that's, that's corrupt to stand up, you know, for what's right and just in there. But to me, there just wasn't, it it was the love story conquered all, and there wasn't enough about, you know, really the, the horrors that were going on there was really downplayed. And I guess you have to make that decision of we don't want to exploit that, to, you know, for shock value or anything else. So how do you how do you weave that in there to, to do that? But still in a way that I think carries the weight of, you know, how horrible this guy was. And I actually think they did a good job of that. I mean, I, I think I think they were about not ex, not exploiting it, right? So I think they told it in a very straightforward way. And again, I was caught by the suspense of the whole thing. So uh, I, I think that's a that's a pretty fine thing that they did with the way that they executed this film. You brought up Flick Chart and, and where yeah. this fell. So 
Where did this one end on your flick chart? So I thought it was really interesting. It, it went down pretty quickly for me, but it came up in a really interesting place. It's in, so my total number of flick chart movies is 146. For me, it's 125, so that's low, but that's because in general, I couldn't fight for the movie because it's not my style of movie. That being said, it's just below Young Ones, which is, I think, the first oh, okay. trailer rewind yeah. thing that we did. And in general, I found Young Ones fun. So I think that's why that was there for me. And then just above the Wolverine, which, uh, you know, we... <laughs> We regularly talk poorly about it on, yeah. on Next Real uh, podcasts, but uh, I I don't hate the Wolverine, but uh, Colonia I thought was in general uh, much more consistent than the Wolverine, so that's why it fit there for me. How about you? Okay, it ended up just about the middle of my oh, wow. chart, so it, that's it really went, positive. It one nineteen out of like two hundred and forty. So it, it I have an interesting midpoint right now that's going to yeah. tell if something goes to the top or the bottom and it, over the past couple of films it's been fluctuating between two films as sort of my my first decision point and sometimes it's the movie what if which is a romantic comedy with daniel radcliffe and zoe kazan okay. which is it has some clever twists to it uh so if it comes up if it had come up against that i think it probably would have fallen down but then the other one that sometimes hits in my middle is um the invitation which is a film i'm sure you have not seen no uh, i have not so, which I'm is sort it of a, right now. it's it's a horror psychological thriller. Oh no no no! Yes, exactly. So to me, those aren't my favorite types of films, and it's an interesting one. So it hit that one, so it went up, but it didn't go okay. mu- it didn't go much farther up than that. So it's at one nineteen, and it's it's wedged in between. It's just above Never Let Me Go. Okay. And then just below Inglorious Bastards, which oh I yeah. know I know you've got that probably ranked a lot higher for me. It's not one of my my favorites it's it's a middling film so this gotcha. one this one's sort of you know my middle range is sort of those where i'm like yeah i i enjoyed it i may or may not watch it again and it's sort of a mix mix of those two films so that's yeah, yeah i don't think i'm gonna watch it again but i think that you know I, I think i bring up the historical context because i'm thinking of where who should go watch this movie and i think definitely if you want to see emma watson do something different i think that's definitely here i think her reason for doing the movie is an important reason to watch it too because there is a strong female character in here as well and i think all the performances are solid so if you like a sort of historical story that's going to give you some basis of kind of the atrocities that are out there in the world this it, it, it's a movie that feels like i would watch it in like a high school history class when we were talking about abuses of power or maybe even a, a world religions class or uh, something like uh, uh, deviance in society class. I'm just trying to oh, think yeah, of those things. Yeah. It feels very academic to me. Uh, it feels less like art and, and more like more a story for teaching. And in those purposes, I think it does a really good job of that. Yeah, and uh, just want to let everyone listening know that uh, this is sort of a Emma Watson double feature because over at the film board, we're reviewing The Circle, which is another Emma Watson film where she has uh, gets involved with some tour type of weird cultish type organization so check out film board review of the circle for a little emma watson double feature cult film april is all about hermione and cults yes it is (laughs) (laughs) so jj here at the next reel we say when the movie ends the conversation begins and i've enjoyed really our conversation here about colonia uh and now that this conversation's ending it's time to start watching another movie what have you got coming up next uh, in your queue that you may be watching. Well, I don't want to talk about a movie next, but I want to talk to you about Legion. When is Legion coming back? <laughs> That's what I, I want to know. I, oh. <laughs> I don't Personally, know. I believe that appointment television is the devil, but I am now stuck on... 
season one, chapter eight, and oh. I just want to see what happens next. Oh no! It, I tell you that this has been a great year for television. It's good. Be- between that, really good. Legion. No, if if you haven't, if anyone out there hasn't seen Legion, it's trippy. Will blow your mind. There's a lot going on there. Layers and layers of that. If anybody, and it's heavy and scary, but it's really solid, solid work. For any anyone listening out there, if you have any information or, or want to discuss um, the T-shirts that he wears in the in in Legion and how they connect thematically to the episodes, my wife has been looking online for anybody else that wants to, sh- to share and discuss that because she finds some really interesting themes and ties thematically to what's going on in his shirts, the colors of those shirts, and what's going on in each of those episodes. So you don't know when it's coming back? I don't know when it's coming back. I, 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 I assume I, May, because May yeah, is the sweet spirit. No, but. no, no. It's done. That's season one. It's You're waiting until next that year. Was not, no. Yes. Eight was not. That was a terrible ending, if that's oh, what it was. That's, I think it's going to be in for sweeps, because I think no, people like it. But that, no, I'm just I don't. Anyway. No, it's, it's like Westworld. You, people are got to wait till like 2019 for Westworld or something like that's that to come crappy. back. Now And then, uh, you know, other appointment television that, you know, really moved me. Uh, on Netflix, the OA. Is great. Great. So, there's some things. If, you, if you're looking for something more than a movie, there's two great shows that are out there to check. What are out. you most likely to watch next? Oh, I'm I'm looking for my next thing. I I just finished. Uh, you know, Pete and Andy did their Kelly Reichardt series, and right. I really really enjoyed Meek's Cutoff. So I'm looking for something that's sort of that you know slow art fill type of film. Like I'm I'm, I'm go watch well, the Lobster again. <laughs> Exactly, or some ter- <laughs> Terrence Malick. I, you know, he's got a yeah. new one that that came out. So I'm waiting to see if that comes to town. Although going out into theaters, I, I am hearing some interesting things about uh, the Colossus, hmm. the uh, Anne Hathaway one, where she finds yeah. out that she's got the ability to control giant kaiju esque monsters. Cool. So it's been getting some good buzz. It looks unique and interesting. So if I get some time this weekend, I may check that out. Love it. JJ, it's always been a pleasure. Have a good night. It was great. See you later, Steve. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.